This is Live Wild's Connection Matters podcast, bringing together heart-centred, nature-connected, curious people who share the inquiry, how can we create a connected and meaningful way of living that brings more health, happiness and growth to our world? My name is Leona Johnson and I am your host. Hello beautiful humans, welcome to episode 10 of Connection Matters podcast. I'm really excited to be here today, I'm really excited about this episode. My brilliant partner Oz, who is an amazing researcher and really supports me in all of the research that I have to do for the podcast, he's also the editor and helps to produce the podcast, he has said that it is the best yet and so that means something coming from him. Um, I knew it was a good conversation. I know that Annie Spencer is a wonderful human being. So um, I'm really excited for you and I hope you enjoy it. To give you a bit of background on Annie, she is a ceremonialist and a workshop leader with an Oxford MA and a diploma in humanistic psychology. She's been running groups and trainings for over 25 years, having been apprenticed to a Native American tradition and studied Guatemalan Mayan teachings, Annie weaves these with the traditions of her land, Britain. As a teacher, Annie opens pathways for others, illuminating their life's journeys. Her primary interest is the renewal of ancient ceremonial forms for creating a path of beauty upon Grandmother Earth. I have worked with Annie and Nona for quite a while now. You'll hear more about this in the episode, but I just love her rich and deep wisdom and her playfulness, actually, and um, she's got a wicked sense of humour, and but also really her strength and courage to be who she is. And I'm so pleased that you're getting to hear her now. In the episode, we talk a little bit about... Um, I nature quest that I did recently whenever I turned 40 Uh, it was during lockdown and the Patreon offer for this episode is some behind the scenes footage of that quest where I did some um, video diary and I talk a little bit uh, at the time when I was sitting very near to a deer that had made its bed in the middle of the day um, within sight of me and at the same time an owl had flew past and this is all on camera um, and some precious moments of my quest that I'm sharing with people who um, support us through Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's a way that people can support independent ventures through paying as little as £3 per month and in exchange you get access to behind the scenes content like this also uh, sometimes giveaways from the people that I speak with on the podcast and other um, freebies that I think are hugely um, worth it and also it really helps the sustainability of this podcast because without it we wouldn't be able to afford to keep it going so thank you to all of the amazing humans who have already pledged their um, monthly amount also I've had an amazing donation from uh, a friend who is really believing and supporting me in making this podcast happen Julie West thank you Julie also 
If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, make sure that you hit that little subscribe button below and that means that you'll get all of the episodes directly into your podcast app, which um, I guess is on your device. And if you listen on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, then please leave a review if you can, because that really helps our ratings and enables more people to get to hear these conversations. If you have any questions and want to speak to me about any of the episodes, then do leave a comment on Facebook or Instagram. I will get back to all of the comments. Um, it, I've just set up a new um, Connection Matters Facebook um, group leona.connection.matters which is the same as the Instagram so um, yeah do comment there and, and share your thoughts um, and I would love to get back to you uh, and the same goes for the Patreon actually um, www.patreon.com forward slash connection matters podcast and there are um, ways that I communicate with all of the patrons there um, so I think that that's it from me. Um, I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Annie. Welcome to Connection Matters podcast. Whenever I first thought about doing this podcast, it was you. You were one of the people who I really wanted to, to bring because actually you've been such a huge influence on my life. So I should explain a little bit about my relationship to Annie when uh, about, oh, I don't know how many years ago, Mm. Your daughter was just very tiny. Yes, so it would have been six years ago. Six years ago, and I did a, my, a year-long eco-psychology training down near Bristol. And Annie was one of the three facilitators, and it was a new program. So we got loads of attention, and I was so grateful to be able to attend that program because it was the first thing I'd really done after becoming a mum that brought me out of the baby world and into what I might want to pursue next and you were one of the you well it was you and I Annie who built a relationship and maintained that relationship afterwards and and I just really felt like you took me under your wing and um, nurtured me and gave me confidence and inspiration to really move into what it means to live a connected life and um, find my own personal practice and what does that mean for me and we did all of that work on the um, on the training but also we've continued to have a mentoring relationship since then and uh, it was really powerful for me so I wanted to say thank you for that and um, I usually start these things with gratitude so um, so that is definitely one of my biggest gratitudes today that I'm able to sit here and speak to you even though you're at the other end of the country grateful for the technology that allows us to do this grateful that um, we have known each other for these years grateful for all of the groundedness and understanding that I have about my life and my connections thanks to our relationship well that was very kind <laughs> yeah you're welcome um so i'm wondering um what you might be grateful for today oh i look out the window always i look out the window and they ask me and um 
My little front garden is a bit of a forest. It's got you, which arrived, and Holly, which arrived, and um, an elder, which arrived, all in a tiny, literally, one of those tiny ones that you walk to the front door. And the elder has got two huge milky flowers just opened. And the sky behind them is blue, and the hops are rattling around everywhere, and the honeysuckle is nearly out, and I'm so grateful. And the roses are tumbling down, just a bit hidden there. I'm so grateful um, to live on this earth at this time, to still be, still have all my faculties so I can enjoy it every day. When I get up, I'm grateful that I can still enjoy it. And I'm really grateful for the fact that I haven't had to leave my house for, what is it, April, May, two and a half months, because I've just been able to sit and enjoy and go and work with my vegetables and enjoy. And I haven't had to run around anymore. And that has been a great gift for me. Mm. Thank you. Oh, yes, I'll join you as well, because I feel like as much as it's brought challenges, there's something very special and precious about the permission that having to just stop and not do all of the running around that we normally do. Um, yeah, there's definitely gifts there. And I've felt them hugely hugely I, th I think it's important I mean you know I know people who've had the virus I don't fortunately yet know anyone who's died of it but some have had it quite badly and a lot of people who are, feel locked in who feel frightened who feel angry who feel betrayed all those things so I feel it's quite important for those of us who are having a good time to really hold that happiness and that connection to the natural world and that listening to the stillness and that smelling no more carbon monoxide but you can smell each season different sweetnesses from the plants I think that's really important that we hold that for the rest of ourselves and express that and express what we're remembering and what we're relearning and what we'd like to keep so that it isn't just a time of despair so that we can learn the good things mm -hmm. I think Yes, I love that because I think there is some um, guilt and shame around expressing the, the, the joy and the preciousness of this time when we know that others are suffering, but that actually it doesn't serve us to, to hide it or to, to feel those negative feelings, does it? It actually doesn't serve anyone. No, joy, it's only, it's only through filling up with joy that we can be generous. That's mm -hmm. um, but I, I think one has to be careful. I'm slightly dubious about people who say, well, look, haven't I had a wonderful walk in the Bluebell Woods today because I can and, and I'm just showing them to you. And I think, well, maybe not. I, I don't do that. I, because, you know, but I, I hope that I can take in the joy and I can let it spill out in more indirect ways to people that I meet and people that I have to talk with on... on um, electronically and my client so that I'm full up enough of that mm -hmm. anyway without me having to say well I lay in a field of buttercups <laughs> <laughs> and and then the other person thinks well I didn't and I now feel even worse because I can't so it's it's a subtle it's a subtle balance isn't it mm -hmm. yes and the journey of getting it right so I know you Annie as my eco-psychology trainer. Um, I also know 
through that connection that you are a ceremonialist and um, practice earth-based spirituality. I know that you hold rites of passage and, um, and that you're an amazing storyteller. But I wonder if you could um, add a little bit of uh, detail to that description. Who are you and what, what is it that you bring to the world? I suppose spirit has always been some relationship with the holy or the sacred or the mysterious or the divine or the power of life, I don't know what you want to call it, has been important to me since I was a child. And when I was um, a young woman, I did do meditation for about 10 years, and that was very important for me, Hindu meditation. Um, But then I got married and I had a child, and my, I was living right down in the west of Cornwall and my marriage fell apart and I had no money and I didn't know what to do with myself. And a friend came along and said, um, oh, I'm running a training in humanistic psychology. I think you should come on it. I was very flattered. I didn't know what psychology was, let alone humanistic psychology. <laughs> and that training changed my life and I became a, a group facilitator and a therapist, which I still am. But one, we had weekends when particular people came maybe to teach us about Gestalt or psychodrama or whatever it was. And on one of those weekends, it was a two-year course, a man came and taught us about medicine wheel teachings and how they relate to Greek mathematics and European grammar and the I Ching and astrology. He talked for two days and we were writing for two days until our arms were falling off. And he said, I'm apprenticed to this um, medicine, this half native man and he's coming over as it happens in about a month and I'm going to send him down to Cornwall because he will love your stone circle. So there was I in the middle of nowhere not knowing what to do with myself and all this abundance came to me and the man came down, it's called Jaime or Storm and he's an extraordinary man, he's an extraordinary teacher and he seeded Native American teachings, most of what is happening in this country and has been since the early 80s, you can trace back to him. And there's a side to him that is really unadmirable and fairly unspeakable. So like a lot of these teachers, he has a a dark part of his nature, so I have to acknowledge that. But for me, he introduced me to something that I felt I'd come home to, which was uh, spirituality that came through the natural world. Because I've always loved the natural world. My grandmother left a middle-class life, much against her Edwardian parents' uh, desires to farm. And she, they, in the end, bought her a little bit of land in Cornwall and she started by farming goats. And she took them to London to shows and would take them across London in a taxi. <laughs> and she spent her entire life farming. She married a local man and they both loved the land, loved their animals more than anything. And my grandfather was a very old fashioned farmer. So I got my love of the land from a very young age. And so this is spirituality that comes along and marries that, that was perfect for me. Mm. That's been my way ever since what, 1980 or 81 or something when I met this man. And um, I, I moved to Bath because there was no work for me down there. And for a long time, I've kept my two paths separate because I feel therapy is therapy and a lot of people aren't going to be interested in earth-based spirituality and why should they be? 
So I I keep that quiet. Sometimes they dream about it <laughs> <laughs> with me. And so I worked with that for many decades and then about and I started doing ceremony and then it turned out that what came to me was working with um women doing earth-based spiritual trainings for women nine month trainings which I did for many years and then as like this man came to Cornwall one evening I was watching television about 15 years ago just you know what can I watch for 20 minutes before I go to bed and there was this program about medicine and there were these very intellectual, university-educated doctors. And then this man with curly hair and a scarf around his head and a turquoise earring saying, in my village, in my village, we do it like this. And not only was he talking about indigenous ways, but he was also so intelligent. He's keeping his own, really um, keeping up with these very highly intellectual English people. And I thought, why can't I meet someone like that? Well, of course... A week later, I see a picture of him. See, he's have, doing a course in England, although yeah, yeah. And I was at, I don't know about two years later. I was sitting at one of his trainings, and he was talking. I overheard him talking to some other people, saying, "I'm running a training for people who want to run initiation. Plane loads of people are going to come to America." So I'm quite shy, but I thought, "Oh, plane loads of people. Well, I could ask if I could be one of them. It's not something special." So I went up to him and said, "I'd like to join this," and he looked at me a bit oddly. And then said, okay. And it turned out there were seven other people on this training. And that's what he wanted. And so then I was in the amazingly fortunate position. He'd spent a lot of time in Guatemala. His name is Martin Prechtel. He's written a lot of wonderful, they're so amusing, his books. And they're so full of teachings. I would recommend them to everyone. And for 11 years, um, with these seven, well, it, in the end, there were 13 of us, I think. Um, we held a four or five day initiation for young people in Vermont in the States and up in the mountains. And I learned a lot from that, as you can imagine. Martine has adapted. He had been fortunate enough to hold a traditional and support traditional initiations in this village in the highlands of Guatemala. So he brought the teachings out. So I was very fortunate to spend that time with him. And now... So, so the now I'm that finished. I think it was three years ago. Take I have had a little space, and now I'm attempting. What what arrogance! But there we are. I'm attempting to set up an initiation for young women next year here in Britain. So I'm looking. I am looking for people who are crazy enough to come along, and and we can all experiment together. I have people to to run it with me, but I mean young women we come along put themselves in our hands and and have a deep intense extraordinary meeting with the natural world and, and with um an understanding of the source of all life and connection so i've said nothing about the eco psychology so i'll slip that in um at one point you know there's always this thing some people are spiritual a lot of people are not spiritual in our culture the spiritual in my lifetime the spiritual has really disappeared as the church has disappeared when i was a child most people went to church now virtually nobody goes and with it when i work with the young because i work with the young a lot teenagers uh, i find a lot of them spiritual means nothing to them it's a term that doesn't exist in their reality so I've thought about that and I thought, you know, this thing, how can I bring, how can I bring what I know to more people? 
So maybe eco-psychology will be the way. So, you know, being myself, I jump in at the deep end. So instead of going and trying to find a training in America, I get together with these two other people and set up a training <laughs> and learn as we're teaching. And it was really interesting. And I think we did it for two or three years. But my feeling is that eco-psychology, for me anyway, was trying to express and catch up with what I already knew to my spiritual training. And I think psychology has got to change a huge amount before it can emerge as truly eco-psychology. Because a lot of people are still using the training that they got when they worked in a room, sitting in a room with another person. Uh, and going inside and working with the relationship, working with dreams. And when you really go out on the land and you really give give up your power to the land and you say, so, so what's the interaction between the land and the beings going to be with this other person? And how can I midwife that little? Then you have to throw out the window most of the ways you had. And I don't think we've done that yet. So I thought, I'm going to go back to my first love. I'm back to my more spiritual stuff, my more indigenous, earth-based, deep connection with the power of life. So when I put it like that, does that sound neutral enough to be? <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Wow, that was quite a story. I love um, I love hearing you talk anyway, <laughs> just because uh, anything that we could talk about ends up in this beautiful, descriptive, magical version of reality. And that's something that I feel like um, when one speaks, we have the power to do. So, um, yeah, thank you for sharing. And Martine Prechtel. Yeah. Wow. What an amazing opportunity. I would love to meet him. Never mind, never mind work with him for so many years. Uh, I know him mainly through his, um, well, some of his books I've read, uh, is it Secrets of the Talking Jaguar and, um, and the grief work, the, his talks and work that he's done on grief and, um, which is, yeah, just really beautiful and Have powerful. you read that book? The Smell of Rain, smell on, of rain on Dust. Is it Smell of Rain on Dust? Yeah. Yes, yeah. That's really. a very good thing about grief, isn't it? Yes, yeah. And I guess, you know, for me, grief work, which we didn't say we would talk about, but <laughs> it seems to me that... Um, you know, connection and presence and really understanding ourselves through the land and through our um, earth-based spirituality can't really be without acknowledging and understanding and having some relationship to grief. And the subject of the need for grief, grief practices has become more and more talked about in my circles it's not something our culture or society promotes or allows, is it? I think there are um, different forms of grief. I think that some people uh, have been unable to grieve great sorrows in their lives and their brokenheartedness, and quite often it's around other people or lost opportunities or times when they've been betrayed or things like that. And that's one thing. I think... I don't know, my experience was when I started really working to connect with the land, there's something that's a mixture of longing and grief. 
It's partly sadness and it's partly longing. And I think it's really important to understand that it's not just sadness. And I think the sadness, some people feel quite overwhelmed by, I'm going to say sadness because grief's become this little word that everyone throws around. By sadness through when they begin to really experience what we've done, how we've hurt, you know, if you, and I could cry now, how many beings we've hurt thoughtlessly, foolishly, selfishly, ridiculously, you know, because we want money. And what is money? It's only an exchange to give us something will give us happiness. In itself, it's nothing, but we've got, and we've somehow got, um, I can't remember the right word, somehow caught up in our own story to such a degree that we only see our own reflection of ourselves. David Abram has written about this in a book, Becoming Animal, and how basically we're entranced by our own cleverness and our own magic. So I think to begin with, it feels overwhelming to experience the grief of our lost connection, of our lost home, because after all, we're at, that's our home outside my window, beneath my floor, above my roof. And sometimes we remember, and there's a huge longing to get back there. We don't know how to do it. And we feel the grief will be overwhelming. But if we allow ourselves to cry, it'll go. And I think in time you build up a muscle so that you can tolerate a lot of that pain without collapsing and falling apart and weeping. So I see that grief stuff is something that you go through. And my Sometimes my anxiety is some people like to stick there. And everything comes in waves. You know, if you have panics, if you allow yourself to really feel a panic, it's shocking. It goes in a matter of seconds, really. And the same with grief. If you really allow yourself to weep, it'll come, and it may take a few minutes, and it'll subside. And it may come back, and I feel that. But the thing is the longing. There's a longing for, the, for a connection with the beauty. It's to do with beauty, isn't it? The beauty of the earth, the beauty of the other animals, the beauty of a bird song. And inside that maybe is the longing for, because somewhere we remember for, well, I don't know what to call it, I would say for spirit, for the holy, to be in that place where we experience the power, the energy, the love, the beauty behind and inside the material. And that longing is never, should never go because it's what pulls us back all the time. And we're always coming and going. That's just the way it is. It's like two wings of a butterfly and one wing is the material and the other is the spirit. And a butterfly can't fly properly unless they're in balance. So I see it more as a longing and a sorrow than, than a grief. Mm. Mm. Yes. So I wonder how we, how do we remember how to listen? Because it feels like what you just said is something that we will all, every one of us be feeling. You know, you said earlier on that there are some people who are spiritual or see themselves as such and some who aren't, but we're all humans who've come from a place where we needed to be in deep connection in order to survive and then uh, over the, I don't know, 
how many hundreds of hundreds of years a hundred years less we've become less and less hey 150 years 70 years my grandfather you know you didn't listen to the weather forecast when your harvest was about ready and you had to cut your corn and he over at um as five a mile away had to cut his corn and he across the lane had to cut his corn and whose was going to be cut first because you had to help each other you'd go out and you'd look at the clouds and you'd smell the air and you'd look at which way the wind was coming you'd think and you'd look at your harvest and you think you could do with another two days but what about the weather and if the weather looked as if it was changeable you might i think we'll cut it tomorrow and get it in while we can or the weather and you'd look at the sea they were near the sea and the sea changes very much depending on the weather and its color its form everything you'd say i think we could leave it another day or two i think that would be all right and so they had to be in connection with the natural world to survive and that was in my childhood which i know i'm terribly old <laughs> but i'm not that old you know what i'm saying so it's a really we forget we get in, we're in the present and we forget how recently things were so different so that's a real connection that's that's one that we need to have in order to survive actually you know it, it's a practical way of connecting what yeah. why what what is the purpose of connecting at that level now because we don't need to harvest our food and we we don't really need to even be outside very much well, somebody has to harvest our food well yeah, yeah. Um, yes well um let's think we need it we probably need it for our well-being um and we need to make that connection because we're in a time of crisis at the moment and if we don't really get um how much of a crisis it is and what we need to do and what we're losing we'll let it continue until it's too late it's like what do people say they you know i can see it i can see you know when architects do drawings um they do a building and then they put a lot of grass and then they put the odd tree just to make it look proper and when you look at a lot of places now in modern cities they are copying an architect's drawing they're not copying how things will actually grow and so it's very quick if we don't make that connection that we forget that it's there and what we forget is that without it we can't actually live at all you say we don't have to grow our food but somebody has to grow our food we don't have to keep our air clean somebody somehow our air has to keep clean because we have to breathe we have to eat we have to drink some liquid which which basically comes from water if we don't keep those possible for ourselves we're all going to die so actually it is essential but we've forgotten because we're in a world where none of that is what we're attending to day by day it's like kids going to the supermarket and buying packaged meat and then being told it and then going to the country and seeing a cow and they can't really make the connection they don't understand that the meat is a bit of dead cow and i remember even already as a child coming back and saying oh i was in cornwall coming back to london saying to a school friend oh it was so funny my uncle was milking and he said open your mouth and he squirted the milk from the cow's tit straight into my mouth and she said how disgusting milk is milk until you've added water to it 
And you see what I'm saying? So it's very quick for us to lose a connection and then we forget. We're such forgetters. So connection is vital for us to survive at the moment. It's as simple as that, really. So what does that look like? I mean, how do we get to that? Because it feels like everything that we have now is is almost created to on purpose to to cause disconnect how do we how do we find our how do we come back into that kind of connection i think the first thing we have to we have to, we need to remember is how quickly i think there are different levels of connection but let's start with a quite a light level and how quickly we can regain that as i said i, I worked another 10 years i like doing different work taking teenagers into the woods for sort of weekends you know with Circle of Life Rediscovery, which I co-wrote the first programs for. Um, it's a good organization. Um, and then we take them out for most four days, quite often just for a weekend. And it was amazing. It amazed me. It amazed us how quickly they got it and they mm. loved it. Some of them had never been in a wood before. A lot of them had come out of very difficult lives. And they'd say things like, God, I never realized you don't need a telly if you have a fire, do you? And oh, it's so peaceful. I feel so much better. I feel so chilled out now because I've, because I've been here. And they arrive and they think, oh my God, what's this? You know, they weren't, they weren't. And oh, I've got this beautiful velour trouser suit on and I can't possibly get it dirty because it was really expensive. All these sort of statements when they, when they arrive. Mm-hmm. After the first night, they were beginning to change. After the second night, they'd completely forgotten. I remember this girl with the expensive suit sliding down this mudslide, <laughs> roaring with laughter, completely forgotten that it was an expensive thing. And their phones. We always take their phones away. The first night, they'll all want them to ring everyone up, and then they forget. It's a very quick transition to a certain level. To get to a really deep level where I feel, you feel, they were actually, we are part of the natural world rather than visitors. That's slower. That's more difficult. But the first bit, which is a good beginning, and the first bit will create the longing, and the longing will keep pulling us. That's the thing we have to remember. And the beauty, because it is so beautiful, and gentleness, and the rest and at homeness we feel. We have to trust that it's something in us knows where we belong. Mm. Something in us knows we're made of the same stuff as a tree, even if its consciousness is different to ours, or a fox. And how delighted is everyone when they see a fox in their street? How absurd, really. What's the difference between a fox and a cat, you know? (laughs) People love it. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I agree, actually, having run similar sorts of programs with young people and adults, actually. Just, it doesn't take very long, does it, to actually for our nervous systems to just drop into stillness and or relative stillness, let's say, to how we move about in our day-to-day lives. So, so that's the, this, the, the sort of surface level or the first level of dropping back into connection, um, which is super powerful and very important. And, um, is something I guess we should be hoping for for all children and 
um, and humans, especially right now. But what about the next level? What tell us more about the rites of passage programs and things that you do? What what is a rite of passage? It's a terrible question. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, how long is a bit of string? Yeah. Uh, someone get used to me, didn't it? They gave you a dorky when you were 21 and then it moved down to 18 and then 16 and now kids are doing it at 14 and 12. I don't know. So a rite of passage is some special time. I hesitate. A lot of people would call that a ceremony or a ritual that you enact to honour. This is it, the most simple. A, a movement that you're going to from one phase to another. So a marriage is a ceremony and party is a rite of passage. Um, an 18 party with presents is a rite of passage. Um, so it can be quite simple. You know, uh, the coronation is quite a big rite of passage. Um, but when the, the mayor gets his gold chain put on him, that's a rite of So there are endless thousands of them. What I'm interested in is particularly ones to mark um, different phases, moving through different phases of our lives, but also to mark them in quite a deep way. So I'm going to start with a quicker one. So I do a little rite of passage for women who have come out of the menopause because I, I feel it's very important at this time to mark that and somehow help allow uh, uh, women to empower themselves because they've been rather disempowered. And, and feel that they've been pushed on the stag eat and, and try terribly hard, a lot of us do, not me, to continue to seem young, because that seems to be where our power is. But there's a lot of much um, deeper power to be gained by actually accepting what we've moved into and really marking and honouring that and starting a different part of our journey. So that's when our bleeding stops. When our bleeding begins is another time when girls, and actually in a different way, boys, used to be taken for initiation or rite of passage, a deep rite of passage, to prepare them for adulthood. Um, in this village in Guatemala, what I was taught was that you looked to see when the girls started getting interested in the boys and the boys started getting interested in the girls. And then you knew that emotionally they were opening up to a changing time and that actually they were quite soft and malleable because everything was changing in their emotions and in their brains. We now know that's true. We now know caught up. And so it's a good time to imprint things on them. So you were trying to imprint quite a few things on them. One was, which is difficult in this day and age, you would teach them what were the customs of the society they were walking into and what would be expected of them. Mm. And within that, you would teach them those societies that were still connected to the land, you would try and teach them about the culture's understanding of life, how it operated, and how it began. So they all had, an, um, um, what are they called? Creation stories. And some of those, when we did the initiation that Martin taught us, we told stories that were never told outside the hut. So I can't ever tell them anymore. I had to learn them now. I can't tell them because they can only be told at that time. That's what I promised. So, mm. so that's a very difficult one. And in a way, uh, initiation of the youth as I learned it 
is um, threefold. Those ceremonies were very important and they were threefold. The first purpose was to feed life. I would say feed the holy, you might say feed life. Feed life with what? With beauty. So you'd make a beautiful ceremony, you'd make beautiful feast, everyone would dress up exquisitely, you'd sing beautiful songs, you'd make beautiful prayers, you'd tell old, exciting, gorgeous stories. So all of this was made as a feast for life, to give back to life and say, we remember that everything we have and everything we do in our very life ourselves, everything comes from outside of us and actually everything material comes from the earth. So let's give back occasionally. And after all, everything comes from the earth. What can we give to the earth? Well, we can make something with our own skill to give back. We can take cotton and weave something beautiful. We can take raw materials and make delicious dishes. We can use our voices and make songs and stories, all those things we can make, and then we give back. So that was the first purpose of this rite of passage that was done every year. And the second purpose was to feed the village because everyone knows that life's hard and we're not very nice. <laughs> so things go wrong and we fight and we cheat each other and somebody gets ill and somebody else dies and we lose out all these things that the advertisements say will never happen if we buy X, Y and Z, but of course they do. Life is hard. We are fragile. I always think it's a miracle that we survive mostly. So we need, so we party. But they would once a year, they would have other ceremonies, but this would be a really big one. So once a year, you'd have a big party where everyone would gather, everyone would cook, everyone would be a part of it. And because they believed that spirit, to connect with spirit is very feeding for us, which I would agree with, this big ceremony, which took, reminded people of their connection with spirit, but didn't just remind them, it was a connector, an opening. So everyone went away feeling happy, and full and ready to face a bit more of whatever life was going to throw at them. And the third and smallest purpose was to initiate the young. So it's very important to remember that because I see a lot of initiations and rites of passage done for young people where they're the center of everything and they're dressed up smart and everyone gives them presents. And what worries me is young people, on the one hand, they're really anxious. They're anxious about life, they're anxious about how they're going to manage, they're anxious about what's going to happen. And on the other hand, they feel really entitled in a way that doesn't help them. And their humility has gone and their words like service and duty have become very dirty. But unless we all serve each other and the land and life, it falls apart. So shall I stop there? That was my first mm. Honest to you, I love it. <laughs> I love it. And so the three things: one, the first is to cert, is to um, feed, feed, feed life. Feed life. The second is to feed the village. Yeah, the community. The community. So metaphorically, as well as pra actually. Well, no, what I'm so yes, and what yes, in yeah. uh, metaphorically, actually, but on different levels. Yeah. So they're actually getting fed. It's not a... Actually getting fed. But on different levels. It's not just food in their mouths. No. Okay. Yes. And, and then... Level, spiritual. So that they feel... They feel strong again. They feel happy. Connected. Bonded. Connected. That sense of... 
yeah yeah richness that comes from being part of something belonging yes yeah and then um and then and then the the purpose is to see the the young people through their transition yes and in some way it's very difficult the form of it is very difficult we're trying to get them you try not to tell them too much because then especially our western minds like to take everything and they're already highly conditioned so they will change it and it will still fit into this materialistic um money grabbing artificial intelligence is the way to go <laughs> um, they'll fit it into that mold so what you're trying to do is talk to them through metaphor and story yes I use story a lot because that um, gets people's imaginations going and once their imaginations go they're, they're able to expand beyond what they already know and before they can make sense of it, they have a feeling for it. And sometimes they have an understanding, you know, they have images for it. They have a feeling for it in their body and then it can start settling and they can start growing into that. Whereas if you just talk at them in a rational way, that won't happen. So mm -hmm. there's one thing you need to do. Another thing is you need to make great beauty. So they're stunned by it in some way or another. Another thing you have to give them because that will open them up already. Another thing you have to somehow get them to experience the power of the natural world, which is quite difficult in England. You know, you go somewhere like the States or the Russian steppes or the mountains in Switzerland or the sea in a storm and they get it, we all get it. But in a land that's been subjugated to humans already for hundreds of years, it's a little harder. Mm. Um, but you want them to feel somehow the power of life. A little bit you have to trust. When we did the initiation in America, one, one, always something happened. One year there was a terrible, terrible storm and a tree, a huge branch of a tree fell and missed the hut where they were all sleeping by about this much. Oh, wow. And it was a huge crash, you know, great noise. And then you heard because they had, they, the tree was unsafe. So they were out there with a tractor and chains trying to make it safe because we couldn't move. We were in the middle of the initiations. So you could hear these train chains jingling. So generally something <laughs> will come along and give you what you need to know. And then they need to somehow get an understanding that they are a reflection of the natural world, that the whole of the patterning of the natural world is repeated within their bodies. Mm. So they and the earth actually are much closer, or they and a fox are much closer than they think. But how do you do that? That's my question as a practitioner and someone who works with young, has worked with young people and, and quests and... Um, and that kind of thing. I, I know what I've received and I know how important it is, but all of those things you're describing, it's like, it feels like a big mystery. And I'm wondering, how do we, how do we do that for all the people that need it doing? 
<laughs> in this life. What you have to remember is we're not going to do it for all the people who need it doing. What you have to remember is that we're just seeding things. This is very important for a time beyond our own. And we can't, and I used to be terribly anxious, like, oh my God, we've got to do this for, you know, 50,000 and we've got to get it out there and otherwise all going to fall apart. We can't, end of story. But we can start something moving and then we have to trust that we don't know where it's going to go and we don't know what form it's going to take and we won't even be there when it really flowers. And I suppose over the years, you know, I've, I've run trainings for so long, that, you know, and you do whatever you do, and people obviously, as far as you can see, are learning basically nothing much. You know what I mean? Anything? Well, they didn't get that. You know what I mean? And they go out, and then you they disappear. But then occasionally, you hear something amazing that they've done, and then they come back and say, you know, it was wonderful to hear you say what you said to me. Mm -hmm. And look what you've got to, and I think. Good God, look what she's got to in six years. It's only we've agreed. It's, it feels like a 15-year journey already. So that's one thing. We can only seed. That's one thing. that We have to, and then you can relax. So we can only seed the beginnings of things. Now, how, you say it's a mystery what we did. Yes, it's a mystery, and I wouldn't dream of telling you the bones of it. Go. But, <laughs> But also, there's some, there's, there are, again, we come back to that thing about levels. And we always have to be a level deeper than the people we're teaching to be able to open that doorway for them. If we're at the same level as them, sometimes we can do a bit. But you understand what I'm saying. We have to go down. So it's, it, I think we have to understand. I mean, look, I started working, I got my first meditation. 50 years ago, right? So I've been working hard for 50 years on this and I really got nowhere. Mm. But I expect I'm a bit further on than you, mm -hmm. he says. So what I would say is to, to run a rites of passage, the first thing, because I see quite young people starting to run rites of passage, it's say in their 30s. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're really ready. It's very rude of me, and I apologize for being so rude. But that we were we we touched on elders, didn't we? And there are some yes. people. It's like you really have to understand that you can only take people as deep as you can go yourself, and basically a little less deep than you can go yourself. And the important thing to get where you can do a good rites of passage is to keep putting yourself through, keep working, keep deepening not letting up on your own path, not thinking you've got anywhere. Um, the, the initiation that I learned that I'm not bringing to England because I'm not, I haven't got the knowledge to bring it to England, um, was honed for maybe a thousand years, I don't know, by a community. So the form already carried huge amounts of teaching regardless of who held it. Who, who was the person who said, now you do this and now you do that. So therefore we were able to do it. And Martine would say, this is what I want you to do. And we just had to do it. But he was the one who worked out the form. And then year after year after year, I would think, oh my God. Oh my God. I'm beginning to understand what this is about because it would just open up for me. I, what a fortunate place to be in. 
like it did for the kids. Not in the same way at all, but I think I'd suddenly see this extraordinary depth of whatever. I'd suddenly understand. And they were all little bits. You know, I still haven't got it all, so I couldn't possibly teach it, but I might be able to start a beginning thing mm-hmm. for young people from where I've got to. But what I would say is is really be humble and don't think up a complicated form beyond your ability because it won't have any meaning, it won't have any depth, and therefore it won't really help people. And don't take a form, a traditional form, until you really know it because otherwise you're giving a very superficial experience of it. Mm -hmm. And people Mm -hmm. think they want it. I remember there was a time when everyone took people on journeys to find their animals. It was the thing. (laughs) It went in every tent you could go in and someone would drum for you to find your animal, you know. And so then I do workshops and I say, well, we're going to find our animal. People would say, oh, I've done that 10 times. But they didn't have a clue about what to do with the being that had come to them. They had, mm. didn't have a clue about any of it. But yes, they used their imagination and some bear or jaguar or some eagle had come along. You know, it was always something great. So, so it's a hard thing to say, but I feel it's really important to be said don't try and do things beyond what you can and sometimes a really simple form that you understand in your bones will be very strong for someone else mm-hmm. yeah I, I i i do agree with that you know as you know i've been training I know with you. one teacher for um quite a few years and i feel like an absolute beginner and am an absolute beginner but I and and I've come to terms with that in fact the the first um yeah the first quest I did or a version of a little mini quest was whenever I with you actually whenever we I stayed out in the ancestors cave oh yes which was quite unexpected and um so i think the rite of passage in that for me was that it was the first it was the first form of any sort of quest that i'd ever done and it felt like it took me uh to a to a different different possibilities opened up to me in terms of what what it even meant um, and I've done other quests with my teacher who, which have been lineage quests and they have been very deep and powerful. But I recently did put myself out on the land and it was on my 40th birthday. And it was very simple. And I was, I was witnessed by my family and children and partner. And, and then I went up for 24 hours only and came back and was received back and welcomed home and and the simplicity of it yet the real actual transitional phase because it has it's been quite a thing for me I feels moving into what feels like an adult stage um was really really big really significant and amazing and I felt that it was the first time I'd ever done a real transition intentionally you know 
it was the other quests I've done have been about learning about questing and I had questions and things that I needed to you know wanted to sit with and and had gained a lot from those but this was an actual I'm now becoming an adult at 40 years old what does that even mean and what does the world want from me now and how is that different from what what I was before and um yeah and actually the simplicity of it was was part of that was do what I know how to do and um and it was weird and strange because obviously when I'm usually holding space with others for others I can do it in the way that I've been shown and taught and I'm the leader I hold that space and that's part of how I do it but when I was on my own doing it for myself with my friends and not friends, family and partner and children who have never really done this kind of thing before. So getting them to all share a moment of gratitude and hear my intentions it really brought me into my um, just, you know, the insecurity around having to hold that space for myself. But actually that's, I feels like that's where we're at as a society. Those who, have these things open to them should be doing them even if it's which is slightly I don't I think I don't think it's different to what you just said but in if you can do it in a simple authentic and true way then we should be doing them and not more not more than what we have been shown or taught or, or more not more than what feels right does that make sense yes and also we should be doing them I think that's brilliant that you did it so I, I have to also go out. I have to also be in ceremony. I have to also do for myself. And, and I think you're right. You When you listed the questions, I thought that's exactly what it is, isn't it? It's a gateway, gateway into the, something new. And if you do, if you really honor that gateway, then you start thinking about those questions. Whereas otherwise you can just sort of, so I'm 40 and tomorrow I feel exactly the same as I did today. And I and I, it doesn't mean anything to me. Mm. Think, yeah, well, what is it to be an adult? What does life want from me? And it's the same, hopefully, with the teenagers. I'm, I'm no longer a child. I may not be a fully formed adult, but I'm, I'm moving towards that. I'm at the beginning of that journey. And at 50, you know, 55 or whatever, I'm, I'm an older woman. I'm moving into my real wisdom and power. What does that mean? Perhaps it'll take me 20 years or till my death to begin to understand what that means. But I'm beginning that journey and I'm marking that beginning. I think that's very important what you said mm. out to me. It's a mark well, at the beginning. Yes, it was. And it felt like, well, the, my primary purpose there, actually, and again, this is from, from knowing you that I went with this, was to, to offer gratitude for the life that I've had so far. And that's really what I did there was sing and drum and, and, um, and share my gratitude in all the ways that I, I can. Um, and then to ask, you know, and now what? What do you need from me now? What does the universe need from me? Who do I need to become? So um, it was beautiful. Um, what I felt was missing and is missing from most of our society is, <coughs> is, the, um, is the support, is the wisdom of the elders, is the... Um, 
you know the people who I can tell my story to who who will get it who will understand or who at least hear it <laughs> and not try to uh, change it or you know and and like an anchor and I know I asked you to anchor for me for one of my quests and um that brought all sorts of learning around what it is what is an elder and what exchange what does exchange mean what is fair what does what does this mean to me that you will listen to me and honoring and building relationships with with true mentors people who are there to to pull out of you your gifts and your magic and your beauty which um which is good how how what do you think about all of that about elders and the relationships that we have with other people um because we don't i know i don't know who it was that said this but one of my teachers said that we have lots of olders but we don't have many elders maybe you don't have many elders because nobody stops to listen mm. because everybody I think it's very interesting. I've been in this um, elders group for XR. We're trying to write something about what is it to be an elder and what is it to be an elder? How were elders in other cultures? And then what is it to be an elder in this culture? And part of me sits and thinks, oh God, another fight is on my hands. I had to fight to be a strong woman. I had to fight not to be a little Barbie doll. And I have to fight to be an elder. Perhaps I'll just give up and go and look up my, make some elder <laughs> and never mind the rest. <laughs> um, I've just been rereading a book, called, which I love, called The Man Who Killed the Deer by Frank Waters. And it's about a young man who comes from um, the Taos Pueblo. It's a novel, but it's based on a true story that the writer's house painter told him of his own life. And he is sent away to government school for five years and he learns to think in Western ways and dress in Western ways, wear jeans and cowboy boots and he gets a skill, he learns to be a carpenter and then he comes back home. And the story is about his struggle to, to re-enter the Pueblo way of life. And in that, culture in that situation the elders governed the whole community with a rod of iron when they thought people had disobeyed they were lashed in the public square so it's a difficult it's a difficult question to answer because people say oh we should have elders like in traditional times because they were so wise etc etc well they held in a conservative with a small c community they held the knowledge of how things have always been done and will always be done. And so they, they also held power. They were the ones who made the decisions about the community. So now we've gone, since you could say, everything got smashed in the last two world wars, because we had elders, we had elder statesmen, we had elder this, that, and the other. And then there was this big revolution in the 60s and 70s, and we really didn't want Christianity, and we really didn't want our culture is uh, so much conformism and we really didn't want so much repression. We really didn't want a marriage you couldn't get out of. We really didn't want only to have sex, women lying on their back, whatever, you know, it within marriage. We didn't want a lot of things and we've broken out 
of the mold, the traditional conservative with a small z mold, of how our society was run. So we we needed the power of youth to do that. So in a way, we've got now, 1890, sort of 40 years later, I suspect we need to get back into balance a little bit and remember that, what is it, the, uh, the, the power of youth needs to be tempered by the experience of the elders. So a lot of people want elders to just sit and listen and be very nice and put all their energy into supporting the youth wherever they want to go. But there's not that many people who actually think, yeah, but the elders actually do have a particular perspective on life that younger people don't. Like I can remember back to when my grandfather sniffed, sniffed the air to see if he should cut the crops the next day. You've never had that because that's gone. It's all mechanized. So I have all sorts of perspectives that are useful for this culture because they stretch outside of the present. And I think that's one of the um, one of the things that the the gifts that, if you like, the elders hold for community. Another is that we can listen and we understand that our time for going out and being the pioneers and doing this, that, and the other is done, and our energy for that is done. Our energy is is lower. We don't have that desire, or we don't. We know that we can't because we get tired. So therefore, yes, we can support the young, but there's also something around, it doesn't mean that we don't have um, understandings that may be useful. It's not just a question of supporting and commenting and mentoring and holding. There's also something, if you say, if you had a council, in a traditional council, on one side would be the war chiefs, who are the young, who would go out and stand up and protect the community and give their lives and were full of power and vigor. And right opposite them, you'd have the peace chiefs who used to be the war chiefs and are now in a different position and can sometimes maybe say, you know, that battle's not worth fighting. I'll tell you why. We did it. And you don't have to go through our mistakes again. So I, I feel, anyway, there's my first few words on elders i feel there's a lot um to be done and i don't quite know i mean you look at uh the people who are running our country and they're getting younger and younger i don't think they have wisdom i think they're idiots but <laughs> but you know what i'm saying it's like there is a certain you can learn a certain amount intellectually and you learn other things through experiencing life and both those knowledges are important. So I think a lot of older people are not as stupid as they seem, but they're partly stupid because no one will listen to them and they get dismissed. And then you become stupid if you're not absolutely pushy like me. <laughs> <laughs> I love your pushiness. There are things that you've said to me that no one else would ever say to me. <laughs> You know, it's painful because sometimes people fight back and hurt you. Yeah. Or they don't. But but these things have to be done, don't they? Mm. Mm. Otherwise, what's the point? Mm. Yes. It's an interesting time for elders and olders, maybe, to start sowing seeds so that in time beyond our own, elders will be back part 
just part of the group who make the decisions. <laughs> I remember um, ooh, a few years ago, whenever I was, when I realized how much this life of building, rebuilding and reconnecting was going to take over for me and realized that actually I had so much to learn that I am going to be a shit hot elder but everything before then is just to build 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 build, build me into that position <laughs> right very good comment <laughs> so yeah you really keep learning and you really are open and you really are prepared to struggle and you're prepared to be not to beaten around a bit you've got something to say and you take you take life and you and you look at you don't hide away from it mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. then you have something to say you're right <laughs> so i um i would love to carry on talking but i realized that we've come to around about the time that we said we would speak for before we finish it'd be nice if um so you're still working as a therapist and you're still running programs how do people get to know about your things? I hide my head in shame. <laughs> <laughs> Basically now, okay, so I, therapist, I have a website, heartwell, H-A-R-T-W-E-L-L -L dot E-U dot com. The others are mostly for garages. <laughs> um, I don't, I only run workshops if other people put them on for me because I so hate the organization side of it and the advertising side of it and I don't have to anymore. So if you want to learn something from me and you think you can get a, together a group of people, I would help you get them together, but, you know, just contact me. Um, I run Vision Quest every year here and in Finland now, but I don't know that if I'll get to Finland or not this year. We've got a group waiting in Estonia oh I want to go but who knows and the initiation contact me because I'm trying my hardest the rite of passage not to advertise it so that it becomes like a workshop I've got a little group who will be running it with me none of us are going to be paid at this point we will ask for some money because we have to pay for the place we have to pay for food and maybe we'll pay for our travel but that's all we're not getting paid so because it's a service it's a ceremony. How can you be paid for a ceremony? You know, it's like if it works, the energy will come from somewhere else. You just hold a form and pray that some power will come in. Those are the things that I do now. I, I supervise or mentor. That's fine. Um, people, because I'm an elder, people are always welcome to ring me up for advice. Mm. It's always nice that there's an exchange, but it doesn't have to be. I'll do it anyway. It's my... It's my, um, it's where I am now. And I mm. get a bit of money that I don't work for. So, you know, you get things like called pensions, not much, but, you know, and you have a home and maybe you don't have a mortgage anymore. So that makes a difference to your life. So you can afford to give a bit more. Mm. That's how I do it. That is that enough? Mm, absolutely. And I will put links to your website and um, contact details um, in the show notes so for anybody who is interested or knows some young women who who would who would really you know who'd be the right young women to do this rite of passage then I would absolutely recommend working with Annie and I can only imagine what a magical journey it will be for them 
mm. say eighteen to late twenties. Mm-hmm. So they know they need to know that it's gone up and up the age. We have to. <laughs> okay, eighteen to late twenties. Okay, so I would like to end again with gratitude. I am really grateful for um, the insights and the the meanderings and the wanderings of this conversation. Um, it's really nice to see you again. I know everyone else won't be able to see you, but I can. <laughs> and um, yeah, thanks very much for agreeing to come and have this conversation with me. Well, thank you. And thank you for giving me the opportunity. And it's been really good to see your face again. And always, it's, it's a joy to talk to you and I always admire your journey thank you good thank you thank you so much for listening to that episode I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed speaking to Annie I always enjoy speaking to her but I especially love this episode it seemed to get to the crux of all the things that I wanted to speak about so yeah I hope it inspires you to follow your path of deep connection I will share all of the the links of things that we've talked about in the episode in the show notes so do go there if you want to follow up with Annie or any of the books that we talked about or the people that we talked about also if you like the show please consider supporting it at patreon.com forward slash connection matters podcast This is where you'll find bonus episodes, giveaways and behind the scenes content from me, as well as having huge heartfelt thanks from me because it's only through this uh, Patreon that I'm able to keep the podcast going. So thank you. The Patreon offer for this episode is um, a free behind the scenes um, video diary from me from the quest that I talked about in the episode um, there was a moment where a deer settled itself really near to me in sight of me um, for a little siesta and I was I was with her for uh, a couple of hours and whilst I was recording the video diary an owl also swept across the front of my vision and it was really exciting um, so there's some reflections from me about quests and what I do and I should be doing in the world so I'm sharing it there on um, the Patreon so um, if that interests you as well as any of the other free full downloads of books that people have offered in previous episodes and poems and other giveaways then um, yeah be really grateful I'm really grateful for all of the support that we get also um if you're interested in working with me, I'm doing some workshops with Damien Marnie, uh, who was uh, I spoke to for the last episode in autumn. So you can find out more there at www.livewild.org.uk. Please also subscribe on whatever app you use by clicking that little subscribe button below. That way you'll get all of the upcoming episodes straight into your device. And yeah, there's lots of great ones coming up. So do that and if you listen on itunes and apple it is really helpful if you rate and review on um over there because it helps people get to know about us and it it helps the ratings so more people um, get to hear 
the music that opens and closes the show is actually by my very own dad, Ray Johnson, and you can hear more of his music at soundcloud.com forward slash vision ray. <laughs>